Hello, my name is Israel. I've been involved in hip-hop since the 1980s as an artist, producer, radio show host, journalist, documentarian, magazine editor, hip-hop advocate, and pundit. Over the years, I've interviewed hundreds of interesting people in music, media, and more. Welcome to Sounds from the Underground, the podcast from Insomniac Magazine, where we learn from both those who reside below the surface and those who've preached it. We're here with the amazing hip-hop entrepreneur, lyrical phenom, <laughs> multi-talented artist, Matt Ills. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me, Appreciate bro. Appreciate that, man. And we've known each other for a long time. I'm going to date myself <laughs> when I say that. I think I've known you since you were... A kid. Almost a kid. I don't know. I, I, I you were a kid? I was a teenager. You, was, you were a teenager. I was a wow, teenager, man. bro. I'm feeling real old right now. Okay. I'm 33 right now. So I'm going to I'm going to edit that out. I'm going to edit that out. So anyway, I'm joking. So So let's talk a little bit about you've done some amazing things, man, and you've been in the game for a while and it's one of those things that hip hop, you know, like music in general, you know, there are few people that are able to stay in the game and make moves and make an impact in their own distinctive way. Um, you don't you don't see that a lot. You know, longevity. You don't really see it. And there's all types of longevity. You know, I think a lot of times folks are so focused on whoever happens to be on the cover of you know whatever magazine, Rolling yeah. Stone, Billboard, that they forget that there's a whole you know, ecosystem of artists out there and players out there that are doing amazing things, making an impact. Um, and, and, and out of all of those folks, there, there are definitely a lot less that have been able to sustain that and have some longevity right. and, and also create their own movement. So, so I love to kind of go back a little bit and talk first and foremost what was it that first inspired you to begin to record music? I think everybody has this at one point in time, especially growing around a larger family uh, where I was just a little kid. I just wanted to be like my older cousins. Mm -hmm. And I used to remember putting my ear to the door, listening to my cousin getting down to KRS-One, and I was hooked from there. I, I wanted to be just like him. I wanted to listen to the music like he did. I wanted to to rap like KRS-One, and that's that's kind of kind of what did it. It was it was me as a smaller kid wanting just to be like the older kids. And my mother was a poet, so I started writing. And when I got into when I got into Middle school, high school, that's when I really figured out, like, oh, man, I got, I got something going here. And I just kept on moving from there. But it was really, I just wanted to be like my older cousins. Indeed. Now, now, there's a, you know, pretty long stretch between wanting to be like, you know, your older siblings, older cousins, you know, older kids on the block, and becoming a, a, a top-tier lyricist. Right. So what would you say that got you to the point where you, you know, were really uh, on the top of your game lyrically as an MC and also as a as a as a battle rapper? Right. So how, how do you get from the point of, you know, 
making music because you wanted to kind of be like the people that were a little bit older than you to kind of, you know, mastering that? That happened as I transitioned from middle school into high school, where at first it was me wanting to be like my older cousins and wanting to just have fun and do it to a point where I would actively go out and try to rap with other people and get rejected and get shut down. People would battle rap me on the spot and they weren't having it. And that's when I realized, oh, okay, this culture is a little bit more structured than that at that point where you can't just go and be whack. These guys, the the people that I was growing up around were just all battle rappers. So that's kind of what hit me. And I was like, all right, I got to go back and and practice this like you have to actually be skilled at this and i i loved it i had a passion for writing and wanting to freestyle and once i started winning battles and figuring out like okay i'm getting better at this it it, it became an addiction so i started looking up where are all the battles at and i went from i was in i was still a freshman in high school and i was going to Tampa to battle, to Jacksonville to battle. I was going to the UCF to go and battle while I was in. I met uh, Swanberger as I was a teenager, as I was in high school. I was going out and trying to battle. And I just, from there, that's, that's, what, really, that's what really developed my skill. At that time, I didn't know that I was subjecting myself to so many different types of styles by traveling outside of my own city. Then I realized, okay, this is how you do get better. So I started traveling to Scribble Jam. When I was in the Marines, I was going all, I went to Boston, I went to LA, I would enter battles everywhere. And I was getting a taste of what all the different styles were like and brought it back home, honed my skill, and that it became an addiction. Then I, I really wanted to battle. And after that, it's just a wrap. You have to kind of become crazy. You know, I spent all day writing, freestyling. I even do that now. You know, what's what's interesting, and and I definitely want to dig into some of the amazing things that you did, but what's interesting to me, you know, battling has been around, obviously, from the beginning, right? I remember, and obviously I'm older than you, but I remember, you know, going to the park and battling kids in the park, and, you know, that, that was a certain level of it, but it seems as though it became a much more organized and... I don't know. Uh, uh, it, it just became a movement, a battle movement yeah. in the, I, th- I think, maybe the latter 90s, early 2000s. Is that right? Yes. And and what I noticed, you know, when I started to see some of these MCs that were lyrically the most uh, advanced, the most just proficient at being able to come up, not with just rhymes, but with rhymes that had impact that meant something. Um, and, and probably one of the first times, and it's funny to, to later on have, have seen this in, in, in the movie, um, Freestyle, I think, Art of Rhyme, you know, was when I saw Supernatural, I used to play his records on the radio, but when I saw him live, he was at a booth performing. Actually, uh, I shared a booth with a, a company back in... Uh, the late 90s in New York, Jacob Javits Center. And I remember seeing him and, and do that, you know, thing where he literally would just grab things from the audience and just yeah. create, you know, a song out of that. And it gave me a, a, a I don't know, a, a different view on how talented, you know, freestyle artists are and, and battle artists are. And what always struck me was how... You had these people that had 
as I think they were at, at the top of their game lyrically, but a lot of them couldn't transition that into the the artist side. So in other words, right. becoming a recording artist and having a significant career, making albums and selling albums. Not that th- that they didn't do it, but they weren't able to transition successfully. Obviously, the the biggest example, and I'm sure there are plenty of others, but the biggest would be Eminem. Clearly, right. Scribble right. Jam, right? Yeah. Um, what do you think it is that so many of these amazing lyricists weren't able to cross into that other space? I believe they're... Battle rap is completely separate from writing songs. You can be a song maker. You can express yourself in a certain way uh, to a tune, but battle rap is... uh, it's almost a different discipline. There's something different about it. You were constantly writing to destroy somebody rather than express yourself and figure out how to do it in a, in a way that it can be accepted by others or you know easily absorbed. Battle rappers tend to be a bit more aggressive with what what it is that they're doing, and sometimes they they just can't make that transition. It's it, it's like it's like riding a bike and a skateboard, you know, like technically you're moving at around the same speed and doing the same types of things, but it, it, you're, you're still using your two feet, you know, like, but it's a lot, it's, it's, they're completely different worlds, you know, like there's people that can't do both, you know what I mean? It's the same thing with, and you think it's just rapping is just rapping is just coming out. Like there's a big difference between freestyling and writing. True. There are people who cannot freestyle, period, and they're amazing writers and vice versa, you know? So it's the same thing with battle rap and making music. I just think that even though they appear from the outside to be within the same arena, they're two different worlds. Do you think also a part of that is marketing that, you know, when someone creates or crafts a single and then obviously a string of singles that we call an album with a theme and there's album art and there's a machine behind it that there's something to be said about the power of that marketing versus somebody that could just kill it on the mic. Right. There are a lot of people who they have the ability to just kill it on the mic and that's it. They 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 don't know about marketing. They don't know how to piece it all together. And that's why you had, you know, A and R's and you had all these nowadays people are doing it independently because they're getting smart because of the internet and people are starting to research and take advantage of technology and algorithms and things of that nature. But at the end of the day, if it's just your passion to want to battle or write and you really don't, you know, delve into what it takes to make those complete packages and present them to the public or a mass, then that's, that's, that's all you'll ever do. You can, you can be that boxer with that really super great jab because you never practice your uppercut. You know, sure. that's how I feel about battle rappers. Like a lot of them have really, really strong jabs, but they never practice their uppercut, let alone their hooks. Indeed, indeed, <laughs> indeed. And, and, and obviously there's also, you know, the business side of it. The yeah. business side is sophisticated. It's not just, you know, I think we all know that it's not about the greatest Talent, right. you know, it's a package, and part of that package is the business, right? Um, so let's talk a little bit about moving from, you know, going out there killing it on the battle scene to then starting this amazing league 
that, you know, really takes over the movement and ends up with, you know, millions of views on YouTube. Yeah. Well, going to Scribble Jam, I, I started going to Scribble Jam in 2003. I battled in Scribble Jam from 2003 all the way up to 2008. Uh, and, and it was during when I was in the Marine Corps, so I was doing a lot of traveling, going to battles. And then I, I figured, man, this is really cool. I want to try to try to do like like boxing. I, I had a friend who would come to me, and he he would say like, "Hey, why don't we we start throwing some battles?" Right? I was already booking the Scribble Jam prelims. I brought the Scribble Jam to Orlando two years in a row. I was speaking with Kevin Beecham. I was in the World Rap Championships. My partner and I had. Uh, we placed eight in the world, and that's when I figured, like, all right, I want to turn this into a league. So we started recording battles and keeping track of the wins and losses, and we said, hey, this might be something fun that we can throw up on YouTube. Worldstar uh, threw up one of our battles. It was a Johnny Storm versus Moss Jelton, and we got, like, 30,000 views, and that's when, like, we thought it was broken. You know, we are like, what? That doesn't... 30,000, like, no, 30,000 viewers aren't, no way. I wanted to get, like, 1,000 views. That was, that was cool to me. You know, I was the king at 1,000 views. <laughs> and then we contacted Worldstar, and we were like, hey, what's going on? And they're like, we, we love your content. It was a Q, rest in peace. He told us, you know what? Send us more of this, and we'll put it up, and we'll send you our logo. That way you can edit it over the video. So we started doing that, and then all of a sudden, 30,000 turned into 300,000, turned into 500,000. Then we were getting million, you know, a million views per video, and it went on from there. That I thought to myself, okay, once we started getting a buzz on Worldstar, I thought this can definitely blow up because Worldstar at the moment was – it was starting to super take off, you know? And so I was like, let's do this in, in New York. Let's do this in L.A., we did it in New York, and it got even bigger. We did it in L.A., it got even bigger. And all of a sudden, we, were, we started getting contacted from celebrities and famous rappers. And that's, that's when it really was like, all right, we got a business now. We have a company. We need to get this rolling. We ended up in Sydney, Australia, Johannesburg, South Africa, Canada. We, we were everywhere. So that's when it, it became real. When we started blowing up through Worldstar and getting the bookings, you know, halfway through this nine and a half year period that Grind Time existed, we were at the Warp Tour, Rock the Bells, um, Pay Dues, all of the major festivals. We had our own stage there. We didn't have to pay for it. We were being paid. We had people like uh, Metal World Peace coming out and just wanting to be on stage with us while we were battling. And that's when it, it really turned into like, we're a part of this culture now. Even, even the famous rappers want to be a part of this and it grew from there now battle rap you see people that that have battle rap gigs on tv every day now conceited's on wilding out you have somebody like uh my verse who went through uh, female uh artists here from orlando went through the battle rap circuit started blowing up ended up winning a vma because she did a song with uh one of the guys from black ip so battle rappers now battle rapping is a is an outlet for people to really take it far, but they have to be smart about it. Indeed. And so you went literally from just wanting to be like your older cousins to becoming very proficient at, you know, rocking the mic to running this 
in, in many ways, a battle empire. Um, what would you say are some of the the biggest takeaways that you that you have from that experience, from going from literally doing this for fun to making it a business? Doing it for fun, you do not have to worry about if you're doing it for fun with other people with the right intentions, you never really have to worry about anything, you know, cutthroat. The business, no matter who you're doing it with, the biggest takeaway I took from that is that it's always cutthroat. It's always cutthroat. I don't care who you're dealing with, especially in hip hop, you will not get the attention unless you're hot or you're buzzing. Artists don't want to do, I've had, and I don't want to call anybody out, but I've had some pretty big artists that would say, I want to work with you in any capacity possible. We love your attitude. We love what you're doing. But the second I sell grind time, like those dudes numbers change. They don't respond back. You know, they only want a piece of you when they can take something from you. And so now I approach my business with people with extreme caution and make sure that I'm not rushing into it. Because before, we were viral. It didn't matter. We could, I could say yes to whatever the hell I wanted to and I was going to get in. You know, we went all the way up to the United Nations with it. But when you do not have that and you just have the idea, people aren't really willing to listen to you unless you're in the moment. And it wasn't like I had a ton of experience. This was the first time a battle league existed we've never been in this area. I I can't reach out to any friends and and ask, well, what did you do when Vans wanted to name a stage after you or pay dues or like, I didn't have that. So I really did not know what to do. And at that point it was a bit too late. It was a bit too late. I would say if I did it all over again, I would definitely be a little bit more cautious as to what's going on. Even when you have that video that pops one day, because going viral isn't a guarantee. It's not. It's just not a guarantee. No matter how much fucking money you spend on it, it's not a guarantee. It's just a matter of if a bunch of people start sharing it and it goes, it goes. And unfortunately, a lot of people aren't ready for that when it happens. You have to be ready at all times, especially if you're just starting to get into it. Like, make sure you're very cautious about what happens when you get those views. If you have a plan as to what you're going to do when you do get your first million views and how to keep rolling off of that, that would be that would be your strongest advice, you know, to have that because you never know. And people won't prepare for that. They'll just write music and keep putting it out and just hoping and hoping and hoping. Then when it comes and you finally do get what you wish for, you don't know how to deal with it. Indeed. And obviously we're in an environment now where, as you mentioned a little while ago, the industry has changed. It's not necessarily about the A&Rs. You know, we all know you could do it on your own and you could gain a lot of traction. But it seems as though, and it is as though, you have these third parties that aren't necessarily music entities that want a piece of it for obvious reasons because it gives them credibility so now you have the corporate side you know wanting to do business with hip-hop once upon a time they you know ran away from hip-hop right, for a right. lot of reasons now you got b-boys on mcdonald's bags indeed yeah. indeed so if you don't mind can you share any insight into 
you know, dealing from a hip hop perspective, dealing with the corporate entities. So when I would sit in our Red Bull marketing meetings, we would talk about culture and how it was important for corporations to be involved in what it is that was going on in the culture. If it's popular, the younger audience wants to be a part of it. And that's where, that's where the corporations step in and say, all right, you got something that has the attention of a lot of young people and we want that. So what, it, what do we need to do to kind of infiltrate that? Red Bull goes about it in a, in a great way because it, rather than trying to take something over, they'll go out to the top names in that culture they, they go out to, uh, was it um, Crazy Legs? They would go out to Mex One, who was running, helping them run the, the BC One and stuff like that. They go out to the, the top heads in the culture that are already respected. They give them the money and kind of like let them do their thing, which is how I believe corporations should be supporting our hip-hop culture. Whereas you have people like McDonald's and um, phone companies will sit in and say, okay, what is it that we can do to take this market over? It's not a it's not a culture to them. It's a market Indeed. to them. So that's kind of where the disconnect is with those corporations, but they want that culture. They want it. They have meetings and say like, "Okay, what's hot? What what is hot this month or for this this quarter? What can we spend our money on that's going to give us the most exposure?" And that's pretty much the only thing that they're worried about. They aren't worried about growing culture they're just worrying about growing their pockets and what they have to spend in order to gain in the future indeed so that's now not everybody's like that you know there is red bull out there there are a, a lot of people out there now that are realizing like oh this is how we succeed this is why we do it however uh even though i love red bull to death they're it's like a double-edged sword right because you have a company that is able to throw extremely large jams, give out a lot of money, let people in for free, but what it also does for the local promoters is it knocks them out of the game. Mm. Because now, in order to compete with something like that, Mm -hmm. you have to throw something big. You have to let it be free. Mm -hmm. You have to get on your business tip Mm -hmm. to get better sponsors so that way you can compete with giants like that or you get completely erased. Indeed. So it's very, it's hard because like at the same time, it could damage a lot of the culture by by in turn making it you know having it be the central location you have to go to this corporate sponsored party in order for it to be exciting right or it's just going to turn into a and regular they, and they have the money i mean just you know if yeah. you're a big company that has a lot of marketing resources you have the money for all the bells and whistles yeah, so yeah. you're able to give away all kinds of fun things and have free a classic food case of a, and drinks. what amazon is doing right yeah. now you know, they're lowering their prices and knocking their competitors off the map. Mm-hmm. When Amazon uh, bought out Whole Foods, every single grocery store's stock dropped that day, except for Whole Foods and Amazon. So, and that's why Walmart changes their prices over 300 times a day. They keep on lowering them so they can knock off the, the competition. And they have an edge over Netflix with their video streaming because now you could get this uh, discounted uh, shipping. Yeah, yeah. So that's it's about you know how much money are you willing to spend to 
lower the price to knock your competition off the map so they can't afford to compete. Indeed, indeed. I love, I know that, you know, the last time we talked, you had been touring um, and you had done, you mentioned 30 cities. Yeah. And that is a dream for a lot of artists of any genre to be able to go out there, do what they love and bring it from city to city. What would you say was your biggest takeaway? What was, what, give me the good, the bad, the ugly. <laughs> um, the good is no matter who you are, visiting 30 cities in a month and a half, you will come back with more knowledge, period. You will come back with experience. Uh, it is tough, though. It's not what people think it is. And that is the biggest mistake when it comes to touring is that you think, all right, now I'm out here, I'm doing it, I'm living the life. Those fans, when you're out there on touring, that, it's, it's a business too. Every single day, you are trying to build and connect with people. Uh, my biggest thing is the people. I, I need to connect with people in a sense that I feel like they're a friend of mine, that they're family with me. Because when I leave, I want to have that lasting impression on them. So when I come back around, it's, it's, it's like I'm building it up over the years. And I, that's why I was constantly touring and going around. People will go out there. They'll go. They'll do their show. They'll go back and they'll hang out in the green room all day. It's a party. And they don't collect emails. They won't shake hands. They won't take pictures. They just do what they do and collect their check, and you'll, you'll die from that. You'll burn yourself out from that. You won't be happy from it at all, and it's just, you're just not going to last. So, I mean, my biggest, my, the best thing is being able to experience so much. I didn't like being able to travel all over the United States and not having time to go and kind of like enjoy the cultures, the different you know cities, their foods, and it was always like, we're at the hotel. We got to go to sound check. We have to go eat. Maybe go get something from like a Wawa or something. Like I didn't get a chance to go and get a home cooked meal from somewhere, or you know, go check out such and such a neighborhood. Uh, Gorilla Republic. We used to do that. We used to go and do community service. So like when I went out on tour, they would make me go and like knock on doors and talk to children and wow. stuff like that. Like Gorilla Republic will force you to do community work, and that's kind of I, I wish it was a little bit more like that. But as far as traveling is concerned, like it's definitely when you're on tour, the more people that you can build with, you might be tired. But when you get back home at the end of the day, you're going to feel a lot better if you go out there and really like don't hang out in the green room. Don't like be out there before the show starts. It's There's a marketing thing with that that, you know, you want people to be excited when you come out. But like uh, I'd rather I just rather connect with the people. I'd rather connect with them. That's that's the biggest takeaway that I had from that. Indeed, nice. Share a piece of marketing insight for an artist that's coming up today. Obviously, you have the world of media at your fingertips. What's something that they don't know they should be doing? They should be in constant study and practice. Constant study and practice. Because technology is moving at a rate to where if you go to a college, by the time you end your degree, it's already outdated. (sighs) Read a book. You know, if you're going to go into marketing, like, 
Don't have an Instagram account if you're not reading into Instagram's algorithm, if you're not reading into what's happening in stocks, if you aren't up on where these systems are going in the next five to 10 years, who's buying them out and what their interests are, then you're going to, you're going to fail. You know, people will have an Instagram just to have it. And that's, I mean, if you really want to do this, as far as marketing is concerned, you need to be in constant study and practice. And you need to have role models, people that you could really look up to that are really doing this. And there's plenty of them that are out there right now. Even people like Gary Vaynerchuk, he's a marketing mogul and the guy doesn't sell you anything. He just gives you a shit ton of tips. The biggest tip that he gave and my biggest takeaway from him is stop giving a fuck. Stop caring about what other people think about you and your product. Do you. And as long as you're able to do that, it's going to shine through and you're going to find people out there that are going to like that. So what if you're whack? Like there's a billion people out there that are that are whack as hell that that will love you and that will make you a millionaire for Mm -hmm. just being your whack self. Mm -hmm. You know, like just be you. If, if you can do that, man, then you'll be good. There's another guy, Scott Galloway. Uh, I believe he's a professor at Harvard. Uh, that guy's amazing. He's the one that actually put me on to what Amazon is doing. And every, every, every week and month he has like who's, who's up in the stocks, what is technology doing, uh, branding is dying. Like he's talking you know, some really heavy stuff that you need to know where, where your own career is headed within the next 10 to 20 years. You know, like be in constant study and practice. You, you're never the best. You are never the best ever. Like, I don't care if you have a number one billboard hit. As you can see in America, a stripper can have a number one hit. So that, that you're never the best. You know, you can always get better. You can always learn more. And the more that you know, the better prepared you're going to be for when that moment does come when you go viral. Indeed, that's that's good advice. Shout out, by the way, to Swampwood for giving us the opportunity to do the interview here. Yeah, this is this is my new home now. You're the you're the marketing manager here. Yeah, I have a friend that uh, owns the place. He just opened it up, Swampwood uh, Skate Park, and he said, "You know what? I seen what you do out there. I want you to bring it to this place." And he gave me full reign. Said, "You can do whatever you want." I came in here. We have the big white walls, and we're gonna paint all of this. We're gonna have murals local artists come through b-boys we have we have space on the floor to have b-boy jams so it's really cool that he is cool as a business owner that is going to give me the freedom to do it because it's all about the community so now what we're going to do we're going to bring mcs we're going to bring the djs we're going to bring all the people that i've been doing shows with and building and connecting with just like i did with grind time when it was time to really lock down I just reached out to every single soul that I knew that I built with while I was out on the road and brought them into a central location. And now I get to do it all over again in a place that's like it's an actual physical brick and mortar spot. So that's what I'm, I'm hoping to do in the future. This is going to be a, a, a really, really cool spot. Awesome, man. Here we are doing a podcast. Yeah, yeah. See, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. Now we're, now we're here. <laughs> so I have to ask two questions. So okay. one, one is... And this might be a tough one, but if anyone's qualified to give the answer to it, it would be you. Top five battle rappers. Top five battle rappers uh, all time? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Okay, top five battle rappers of all time. I would have to say uh, Kumo D. Uh, I would have to say, I'm sorry, Eminem. I would have to say Supernatural. Ah. Uh, Juice is up there. 
and I, I, mm, whew, I don't know if I want to, there, there are a lot of, man, I'm going to go with one guy from my era and I want to put him up there, uh, hollow the dawn. All right. Yeah. yeah. I would put him up there with those guys. Nice. So then the other question is top five period. Period, like MCs? Yeah, like, you got it. MCs, again, and I'll make it a little easier for you. You can put groups in there if you want. Oh, hey. Okay, so I will go uh, top five, period. I'm going to go with KRS-One. Nice. Uh, KRS-One birthed Busta Rhymes. KRS-One, uh, uh, Cool G Rap. Cool G Rap was ahead of his time. You got that right. Uh Anybody who's doing any kind of multi-syllabic, that, that came from Cool G Rap, way ahead of his time. Um, I will say Eminem. Eminem is a battle rapper who blew everybody away. And now the guy, he only has to do a couple of shows a year and he's good. You know, like it doesn't, he broke every single stereotype and made it happen. Uh, I would definitely say him. Uh, that's three. Woof. That's tough. That's tough. There's a lot. I know. There's a lot up there, bro. So far, so far, you're staying away from some of the more obvious names that a lot of people throw out, which I like. Because <laughs> I, I don't throw some of those names out. Right, right. Also, so I hear you. Um, I really, I really, really want to throw the group in there, and that's Wu-Tang Clan. Okay. I want to throw Wu-Tang in there just because when it comes to marketing... Their whole association with the kung kung fu flicks and how they were able to tie it into their crew and what each of them meant and how they did it, like that's perfect. That meshed those two cultures together Mm -hmm. very very well, and they're legendary. Everybody knows who Wu Tang Clan is, from kids to like everybody knows who Wu Tang is. And variety, a lot of variety in there. Yeah. Um. Man, I have one more. Who, who, who would I give that one <laughs> slot to? No lifelines. Uh, honestly, in, in my opinion, with the way that he wrote and how humble he is even to this day, it's Percy P. Okay. Yeah. I really love what he uh, – I'm a multisyllabic dude. You know what I mean? So those are the people that really, really I caught on to. And even being able to meet the guy, he's super humble He's still nice, and he might not—he might not be the most famous guy out there. But like, he's an MC to the core, and he's never spit a whack verse. And to me, Percy P has always written. Uh, I can't find a flaw in his writing ever. Like, I can find a flaw in Eminem's writing. I can find a flaw in Feral Monch's writing. I can find a flaw in even my favorite, even even with KRS. I can find a flaw in his freestyle. Supernatural uh, Supernatural's I-, I love his freestyle It's ungodly um, I believe Percy P though As an artist Writing wise That would have to be My top guy Because every verse I've ever heard of his Was perfect Nice I love yeah. that I love the fact that You didn't go with any of the The mainstays The obvious names That we hear And Jay-Z's The yeah, the line Yeah yeah, I mean, you know, he's a great businessman. Yeah, exactly. He's probably one of yeah. the greatest marketing. But once again, marketing—not yeah, yeah, yeah. to take anything away yeah. from him—he's, 
talented artists, but a lot of marketing there, whether people agree yeah. with it or not. A lot of marketing. But, man, I want to thank you so much for taking ah, this time to, thanks, uh, to talk with us. And uh, before we wrap, anything you want to share with folks, how to find out uh, what you're up to, what you yeah. got going on, what's coming up? My main thing right now, I build with people through Instagram. Uh, it's just my platform. I'm getting a lot more engagements there, and uh, I feel a lot more personable with people. Uh, it's at Ills Music, so I L L Z M U S I C. I give a lot of music away for free, and that's unfortunately. I mean, we want to be paid for our music, but that's where the business is headed. It's not going there. So I, I really stopped selling my music and started giving it out for free. When I started doing that, I was, I was accepted a lot more. I got a lot more bookings. I had Red Bull booking me even more. So that's kind of the area that I'm going to be traveling into is being able to find a way to give you my music for free. Awesome. Thanks so much, man. Thank you, bro.